0: Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at another parable Jesus told. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. And like the parable we saw of the parable of the sower, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, we also receive an explanation from Jesus concerning this particular parable, in part because the disciples asked him what in the world he was talking about. And I think a lot of us uh, should enjoy the fact that disciples asked Jesus this question because this parable deals with the end times and what is known as the parable of the weeds. Sometimes it's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Sometimes it's called the parable of the darnel. Uh, Sometimes it's called the parable uh, of uh, something else. I forget what the other one was. Um, But like this parable, what we're going to see with the parable of the sower is there's a lot of similarities. We have a sower. We have a seed. We have a result of that seed, we have a warning that comes through this parable, and we have an explanation. But this parable holds a different meaning than the parable of the sower, even though we have a lot of the same elements within it. And Jesus uses, his, uses parables, or these stories, these illustrations, in order for his audience to get an understanding of the deeper things of God, about God's kingdom, about God's ways, and our role within that kingdom. The parable of the weeds takes shortly place after the parable of the sower. And as a reminder, this parable, as as well as the parable of the sower, was taught along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so what we're going to see Jesus do is he uses the physical illustration that is all around them. The Sea of Galilee was a place where there was a lot of fishing happening, but it was also a heavy agricultural area. And so there would be a lot of farmlands going on. And so Jesus is taking his surroundings and he's pointing people to God to give them this understanding in the kingdom of God and to be aware of what is going to happen in particular with the end times as this is the focus of this parable. So let's walk through it. We're going to begin in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13, and then we're going to jump over to verse 36 as Jesus gives the explanation. And the word of the Lord says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, the then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the weed into my barn. And let's jump over to verse 36 of the same chapter. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, "Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field." And he answered, "The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be with the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out His kingdom, out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much to be able to come into your presence to worship you. We thank you so much that your spirit is in this place. And, Father, I just pray your spirit will come upon all of us. I pray that you remove me out of the way, that my words would be pleasing to you. And, Father, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Father, I ask you just to open up your scriptures as you did with your disciples for us this morning, give us that mercy and that grace that we may have a deeper understanding of what you're trying to teach us, what you're trying to make us be aware of, what you're trying to warn us about. So, Father, let every word that comes out of my mouth be said in love. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that is yet to accept you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that your spirit begin working on their heart in this very moment. That they would become a, awake. They would have eyes to see, they would have ears to hear, and Father, they would respond to this incredible invitation you give us to become your children and be given eternal life. Above all else this morning, Lord, I pray that you alone be glorified, that your kingdom and will would be done in each and every life, in each and every heart, including my own. We thank you so much for what you've already been doing. We thank you for everyone that's here this morning, and we thank you for those uh, who wish to be here but can't for some reason. Father, we just ask you to watch over them. Lord, I pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So again, like I mentioned, we have a sower. But this time we're told that the sower is the Son of Man in verse 37 of chapter 13. Son of Man is Jesus. That is one of the frequent titles he uses concerning himself. And since we have a sower, it's logical that we're going to have a field, which Jesus again tells us the explanation what the field is, is the world. That's in verse 38. And then we have the good seed that is planted, which again Jesus gives us the explanation. The good seed is a representation of the sons of the kingdom. That's found in verse 38 as well. This sons of the kingdom is referring to believers. It's referring to Christians. It's referring to those who call themselves followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. So if you are one of those things, then you are referred as the good seed in this parable. Within this parable, we also have some added dimensions that we didn't have within the parable of the sower, which gives it a little bit, it gives it a different meaning. We're told that there are weeds. And again, Jesus gives the explanation that these weeds are representations of the sons of the evil one. That's in verse 38. That means they're children of the devil. And we may not like to hear this, but this is the truth that the scriptures give us. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you found faith and faith in him alone alone then you are a child of God. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to make that confession of faith, then the Bible defines you as a child of the devil. You are an enemy of God. And so that means you could be in this place and you could be a great person. You could do great things with your life. You can make a huge impact on other people's lives. But if you do not have Jesus Christ, you're a child of the devil. You belong to him. You have no claim on God. You do not belong to him. You're not a good seed, but instead you are what Jesus calls a bad seed. Another added dimension of this parable is that there is a harvest. Jesus tells us in verse 39 that this harvest is a representation of the end of the age. This is what is also referred in Scripture as the day of judgment. It's a day when every individual, good or bad, is going to come before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he's going to separate us. And Jesus gives us another parable in the Gospel of Matthew, where instead of calling us a good seed or a bad seed, he calls us a sheep or a goat. And one will be welcomed home as a good and faithful servant. The other will be cast from his sight, cast from his presence into eternal darkness, and what Jesus defines here as hell. As we can see, there's a lot going on in this parable. We also have individuals called servants, and we have individuals called reapers. And they're two different types of things. Jesus tells us that the reapers are the angels and the servants... Are those people, individuals, who would be represented as the good seed as well, who are tending to the good seed or the Word of God? And this aspect of the parable takes us back to the parable of the sower, reminding us that we're not only seed bearers, but we are seed carers. We are to care for the Word of God. As God's people, we have all been empowered by the Holy Spirit and commissioned by Jesus Christ Himself to take the seed of the gospel into the world, but we're also commissioned and commanded that we must hold to the sanctity of Scripture amongst believers and within the church. Now, there's an issue in our parable that emerges which the servants recognize, or the Christians. These are the individuals, who, again, who are caring for the Word of God, and it's come to their attention that in the world there are bad seeds that are sown amongst the good seeds. And the bad seeds, in some translations, is read as tares, but could also be read as darnel, and we'll drag that out here in a moment, what that means. And seeing the emergence of the evil servants, they're confused. So they go to the master, and the master is Jesus, and they inquire of Jesus of the situation that they have come upon. And the image here is that within the world, and even within the church, there are going to be individuals who are good seeds, and there are going to be individuals who are bad seeds. But we can only recognize what type of seed an individual is when we turn to Jesus, and when we turn to the Word of God, and Jesus was the living Word. What Jesus informs his servants in the parable is that this took place while his men were sleeping, that the devil, the enemy, snuck in and he planted the bad seeds alongside the good seeds. Meaning of being asleep in the word of God means that God's people have become spiritually complacent. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this played out with the Israelites, or the Jewish people, as God continually had to send prophets to them because they become spiritually complacent, spiritually lazy. That is what the Bible defines as being asleep. This sort of mentality can be seen in numerous churches in our country right now. As numerous churches are not wanting to offend anyone. So they're going to stay away from certain passages because of the cancel culture. And I don't don't want us to mishear anything. I'm saying anybody and everybody is welcome at church. It doesn't matter if we disagree with them or we don't understand them. Jesus died for all sinners. And the only way an individual can go from a bad seed to a good seed is that they've impacted Jesus Christ, who is the truth, because the truth is the only thing that is going to set people free. This parable is painting a picture of how the servants, God's people, We are to be mindful as good seed that was sown in us through Jesus Christ about His life, His death, His resurrection, the promise of His Holy Spirit within us, that there are going to be problems. There are going to be bad seeds that are going to emerge among us. But the problem only emerges is because the workers or the Christians, they've dozed off. They've failed to be mindful that the enemy is wanting to get into their midst. And we can see how this played out when God... Set up creation and it was perfect. Satan snuck in and he brought temptation. And so sin came into the world. First thing we're going to see what this parable shines light on is we always need to be on our guard. We must always be putting on the full armor of God. We must always be aware that the enemy is ready to pounce, especially when we let down our guard. Throughout God's word, He tells us that we must be alert, we must stay awake, we must be ready because when Satan sees a moment of opportunity, he's going to take it. This means even if we're reading a Christian book, even if we have attended a Christian conference, or we listen to a Christian radio, or whatever medium you use to listen to music, or a Christian podcast, We have to do all of those things through the lens of God's Word because not everything that comes with the title Christian is in fact Christian or biblical. There's a lot of things that are going to sound good and they're going to look good, but they're going to be unbiblical because they don't match up with the Word of God and churches have allowed these things to creep in. If it sounds good or looks good but doesn't match God's Word, we can tell from this parable it's a bad seed. In the parable, servants want to go out and they want to pull up the weeds. You know, the crop has been corrupted. In other words, they want to do what we would think the most logical thing would be is to take out what Satan has sown in, but what does Jesus tell them? Don't do it. you will cause more destruction. Even though we might think it's logical to remove the bad seed, to remove the weeds. I mean, I'm not much of a gardener. Uh, we've got a little box garden in our backyard, and I've got to the point where well, I only plant one thing, and that's, that's tomatoes because I just want tomatoes. And so when things start sprouting up from the ground, I can typically figure out if it's a tomato plant or not, but not always. And so now I've got grass amidst the tomatoes, and so they've co- kind of corrupted the garden. But I, if I started ripping things out and then I didn't know what it was, then I could ruin our tomato, our tomato plants. And this is what Jesus is pointing to in this parable. The context of the understanding concerning the weeds, or better yet the word should be darnel, is that after the farmer in Jesus' day would go out and plant the wheat, he would not know the difference between a wheat and a darnel because they look so much alike. The Jewish farmers would call the darnel a poisonous weed because it, came, it was so closely resembled the plant that they planted. And it wouldn't be until the darnel and the wheat were fully grown that the farmer was able to recognize the difference. The problem is, by the time they're fully grown, the darnel roots would have wrapped itself around the wheat's roots. So if you ripped one, you'd rip both of them out. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that if you do this, you're going to destroy the good and the bad seed. And so this has to come about when it's a time of harvest or when it's the end of the age, the day of judgment, which is telling and reminding us that Appearances can be deceiving and deadly. Jesus, just because someone says they speak in the name of Christ, doesn't mean they're actually speaking in the name of Christ. Just because a building calls itself a church, does not mean it's actually the body of Christ. Just because someone mentions the Bible, or maybe even quotes a word or paraphrases paraphrases a verse in a sermon, doesn't mean they're actually preaching the word of God. I've been to conferences before where there have been great speakers who have titled themselves as preachers, some even apostles. That's a whole nother subject we could talk about later. But they give themselves this title, and they give a great, I can't call it a sermon, speech. And it makes you laugh. It makes you feel good. And maybe they go to the Word of God, and they just bring out one word. But they, they don't do anything in context. They don't do anything in what God is actually saying in that particular verse. But you feel good. You're laughing. You're having a good time. It's a bad seed. If you go to a place where you are expecting the Word of God and you do not hear the Word of God, you better be attentive. Because there are a lot of bad seeds in our country this, today. There's a lot of bad people that present themselves as preachers that do nothing with the Word of God. But after all this... God says to let them remain. And I don't mean to say that God doesn't want us to feel good at times. You know, when we read the Word of God, when we're in God's presence, you know what we need to do? We need to taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. But we also have to keep in mind that God is our Father. And that means we're His children. And so there's times we're going to get into the Word of God, there's times we're going to gather to form the church, and our Father's going to discipline us, and that's not always feeling good, but God promises it's because he loves us and it's for our good. To show how this played out and how I experienced that appearances can be deceiving and deadly. Several years ago, Jamie and I used to go to this Christian music festival. <clears throat> it's called Cornerstone. Cornerstone Music Festival, and I loved it. Uh, When we would take high school students, when I was in youth ministry, we would take high school students to go to this festival. We wouldn't take middle school students because you're basically camping out all week, and I don't want to mess with middle school students when I'm camping out. So we would just take high school students. It would be something middle school students could look forward to. And so we go and we set up camp and we did the program and we'd be looking through the program and seeing all the things and the concerts. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of Christian musicians. And there's several different stages going all at once. So you don't really have to go to one stage and stand there and wait for the one you want to see. You can just kind of walk around and go to different tents. And so we came across a lot of different Christian musicians while we were there. Like, remember one year we took a group and we got the program and we we're looking through it. And I came across some things where I had to tell our students that there were things they could not go to at a Christian music event. They started playing documentaries and movies that had heavy profanity. They started inviting bands that were known not to be Christian, but because they had a member in the band who was the son of a preacher, or they went to church at one point in their life, they invite them because they were trying to get this big crowd. And in that moment, when I had to do that that year, I said, this is the last time we're ever bringing any kids We're not going to bring them here because I'm not going to go to a Christian event and have to tell kids there's things you can and you can't do. Here's what happened to Cornerstone. Three years later after that, it shut down. Three years. They allowed the bad seed to creep in. They tried to play to the tunes and ticklings of the world, and God shut them down. They were a bad seed. And you're talking about an event where 50,000 people at least would show up and camp all week and listen to music. No longer exists. That's what bad seeds do. They creep in. And we we rub them off like, well, it's not that big of a deal. We excuse it like, well, you know, everyone else is doing it. Or, well, that church, that church is doing it. We, we, We excuse it that, well, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to let down our guard. He wants us to fall asleep. And he wants us just to go through the motions. There's an incredible illustration in this parable of how Satan works. As he slowly and quietly sneaks in. Under the cover of darkness. When we've let down our guard. And as Jesus says, we've fallen asleep. And before we know it, we, we wake up. And we're left with the question, how in the world did this happen? That's what the servants went to the master to ask. How did this happen? I thought you did this, but this is what's going on. The issue is when the growing of the good seeds, we have to be aware there are also going to be bad seeds. And within the church, this has become an incredible problem because when the church finally decides to wake up and take a stand because it recognized bad seed, bad theology... Bad interpretation of the word of God. And then they try to uproot it, but they've, they've gone along with it so long. What happens is they destroy stuff. They cause destruction. And this is why a lot of churches have split. This is a lot, why a lot of churches have closed their doors. Because they've gone through the motion so long. They've stayed asleep so long. And then they've finally woken up and decided, no, this isn't right. This isn't biblical. This isn't godly. We need to do something about it. And so they try to rip up the bad seed. And it destroys things. Did you know that more people leave the church, not because of persecution from the world, but because of things that happen within the church? That's good seed and bad seed. I'm not saying we shouldn't hold each other accountable. I'm not saying we shouldn't stick to Scripture, but that means we have to stay in Scripture from the very beginning. We have to allow God's Word to be the only thing we turn to for wisdom and understanding concerning this world. And what we see is God's reasoning in his parables why there is evil in this world, and why there are hypocrites in the church, why there are such things as nominal Christians, and that word means by name only Christians, and these individuals are on membership roles. First you know that God did not place them there. Did you catch that in the parable? Jesus didn't plant those, but it happened because at some point in time the church and the believers that made up the church became lazy in their convictions concerning the word next thing we see is when we let things slide, we damage ourselves and our goals. If we let things slide for comfort or not to ruffle any feathers, not to make anybody mad, then we allow this world to overrule the commands of our Creator. And we can excuse it, we can reason it, we can do all those things, but Jesus gives us warning that it corrupts the harvest. And so we always must be people of the word and in the word, word. Word. Secondly, in this parable, God shows mercy. Did you catch the mercy? He shows mercy by allowing the bad seed to remain. And this mercy is because the bad seed, these, the bad seed again represents people. But we have to understand people are only going to have the opportunity to become good seed if they are around good seed and are casting good seed and casting the gospel and have the opportunity to hear the truth and the word of God. The parable also shines a light. There's going to be a day when God is going to come and he's going to separate the good seed and the bad seed. The parable does not excuse us from accountability. If anything, it calls us to wake up. To wake up and hold each other accountable through the word. word. Final point this morning. And this may be a hard one to swallow, and I don't want to say this. This is not said in any sort of judgmental way. It's said because I love you, and because God's word loves us. Not everyone here, not everyone in churches across this country, are a good seat. And just think about that for a second. Not everyone here. Let's just we'll just point the finger here. Is a good seat. There is an enemy seeking to destroy all that is good and all that has been planted by Jesus Christ. And what better tactic than to sneak his children in amongst the flock? Jesus says he does it as wolves in sheep's clothing. The Apostle Paul had to deal with this constantly when he wrote to the churches when they would let bad seed come into the church and be corrupting the church. Not everybody here is a good seed. We're not talking about sin at this moment. We're talking about individuals who are not sons of the kingdom of God. Now, the difficult thing about seeing the good seed and the bad seed, according to the parable, is that they aren't easily identified. And you sometimes can't even identify them, and they've come to full growth And when they come to full growth, the way you identify them is by the fruit they bear. And Jesus says we are to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. But I say this because there are some people here, and I know there's people in other churches, but there might be some people here who have a false hope in their salvation, believing that if they're good enough, believing that if they go to church enough, if they give enough money to the church, if they tithe, if they do all these things, then they're in fact saved. There are some individuals who believe that if they have a membership in a church, that is going to be their salvation. Or an action that they did when they were younger. Well, I walked down the aisle, I said a prayer, and I was baptized, and I was saved. Maybe. The problem that this parable points out is that sometimes we can just be going through the motions, be asleep, and that salvation never actually happened. We've been a weed the whole time. We've been a bad seed. We may look like a wheat, but by our fruit that we bear, we're showing we don't actually belong to God. And so when the harvest comes, when the end of days come, we're going to find ourselves, we have placed ourselves in a false hope of salvation because it's not fully resting in Jesus Christ alone. Your baptism does not save you. Your church membership does not save you. Your reading the Bible does not save you. Your giving to the church does not save you. You being involved in ministry, even going on a mission field, does not save you. And if that's what you're hoping on, you have a false hope. By Christ alone. That's it. He did it all because we couldn't. And to illustrate this, I want us to look at three of the twelve disciples. The first one is the Apostle John or the Disciple John. What do we know about John, not John Edwards, the Disciple John? <laughs> yeah, it's fun interaction times when you can start waking up again. What do we know about the Apostle or Disciple John? That's John the Baptist, another John, good guy, but we're talking about a different John. He was a fisherman, Yeah. He was very close to Jesus. The Bible says that he was the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John. That's the title he's given. He's the beloved disciple. It means he has a deep affection for Jesus, a deep love for Jesus. He was the only disciple we find in the upper room who's resting on the chest of Jesus, which is another sign of affection and a devotion. We might think it's weird today. I wouldn't go to Kendrick's house and rest on his chest, but they did it then. You wouldn't let me anyway, would you? No. <laughs> Thanks. There's a good John. (laughs) We know from Scripture, John the disciple was the only one of the twelve who was at the cross when Jesus died. Only one of the twelve. He was the first disciple, beyond the, the ladies, the first disciple to come to the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. We would all want to be a John disciple. (laughs) <laughs> he was faithful. Faithful to the end. Even when they sent him to the island of Patmos, he still found hope in Christ and remained faithful to the gospel. We all want to be a John, but John had a brother named James, and they were nicknamed, may know? Sons of Thunder. Sound like a great wrestling tag team. And it wasn't because they were always the nicest people even though he's called the beloved disciple and in his gospel always talks about love is because they had a little bit of an attitude had a little bit of a temperament at one point in time they're walking by a city and john tells jesus hey do you want us to call down fire from heaven to wipe out the city destruction and judgment well, john wasn't perfect he was a sinner but he was a good seed. Now let's look at some of our favorite ones. Peter. What do we know about Peter? He wasn't a pumpkin eater. What do we know? Someone said something? I didn't hear it. What's that? Okay, he denied Jesus. Probably not in his highlight reel, but... (laughs) Okay, he kind of spoke before he fought. He's kind of one of those uh, troubled children we kind of come across every now and then. He didn't have a filter, right? There are t- times he just did not have a filter. And we've all met people like that in church, in the world, that just don't have a filter. They just say whatever's on their mind, whatever comes out of their mouth. It just, you know, Sometimes it's in love, and sometimes it's just, you know, rude. But <laughs> that's Peter. He... Actually, he's the only one of the disciples who rebuked Jesus. Remember how Jesus responded to Peter in that moment? Get behind me, Satan. He rebuked Jesus because Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die at the hands of the elders. Because that's why he came. Peter not only lied to Jesus, he lied about Jesus, and he denied him, as we already pointed out lied to himself too but he repented he was given the holy spirit and became leader of the first christian church that was ever developed he was a good seed you see how hard it is to identify the good from the bad seeds let's talk about judas he was one of the 12 too right what is judas known for betraying christ we know from Scripture that Judas was more materialistic. He was in charge of the money, but Scripture also lets us know that he would take, he had sticky fingers. He would take some money out for himself at times. Matter of fact, it was money which called, allowed, or enabled Judas, made Judas, however you want to say it, deny, Christ, or betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, is the price of a slave. Now, here's the thing I think we sometimes forget about Judas. Judas heard the same teachings as the other two disciples we mentioned. He saw the same miracles. He heard the same parables and got the same explanation of those parables. He traveled with Jesus. He saw the healings, the casting out of demons. He was in the presence of Jesus. But betrayed him in the end, never repented of it, hung himself. He was a bad seed. He's condemned in Scripture. So when it comes to good seed and bad seed, I'm just saying it's very hard to identify. But the fruit will eventually show. And so there may be some bad seeds in here this morning. You've been in the presence of God, you've heard the word of God, you've worshipped God, you've even gave your tithe to God or your offering to God. But your heart's not actually attached to God. You don't belong to him. But God knows you and he wants you to know him in a personal relationship. All three of these men, John, Peter, and Judas, they all made mistakes, correct? Correct? We're all going to make mistakes at times. Just because we become a believer doesn't mean we become perfect. We're all going to fall to temptations at times. But John and Peter remained faithful to the end, whereas Judas fell away. So it brings us to a closing question we have to ask ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to investigate our hearts. Who are we? Are we wheat or are we weed? Who are we? The answer can only be found in the fruit that we produce. And just as in this parable, we can look authentic, but not actually be authentic. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Are we casting out good seed because we are a good seed? I believe God wants to awaken us all just to look at our lives and see what's coming out of it, what's coming out of our hearts. final question this morning may be, maybe not even a question, maybe you're here and you're realizing, you know what, I'm, 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 I think I'm a bad seed. I think right now I'm a child of Satan. I'm a child of the devil but I don't want to be that seed anymore. I want to be a good seed. And so I want to present to you the gospel because God wants to change you from a bad seed to a good seed, from an enemy of his to a child of his. The gospel says that God created you. He created you. You may have a mom and a dad, but God's the one who knit you in your mother's womb. And he created you for a relationship with him. And it is your sin that is separating you from that relationship. And as I already mentioned in the sermon, it is not about doing enough good things in order to obtain that relationship, earn that relationship, or even prove we deserve that relationship. God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to live a perfect life that we couldn't, to die on the cross for our sins and rise again to show that He has authority to forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. And it is only found in Christ alone. And God is extending His gift of salvation and forgiveness to you this morning. And if you would accept this gift by admitting that you're a sinner, you believe God loves you that much and sending Jesus Christ, His only Son, to die for you and rise again, and then confessing it with your mouth, that Jesus is my Lord and He is my Savior. The Bible says you will be saved and you'll become a good seed and you'll be given eternal life. And unlike in this parable, you won't be cast into the fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're here this morning and you know you need to make that confession of faith, that's what it is. It's a confession of faith. We're going to have this time of invitation. Nick's going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to ask you to come down. You can come and just sit in the front row if you want to. And I'll sit by you and you can tell me, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. We'll pray together. We'll celebrate together. And I promise you there's not a believer in this room who won't be celebrating with you. But maybe you're here and you know that you've not been casting out good seed. Because maybe you've fallen asleep. And God's telling you to wake up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Lord, thank you for giving us good words that lift us up and build us up. But the Lord also given us words that rebuke us at times and correct us and train us for righteousness. Thank you that you discipline us because you love us. Lord, I thank you for the good spirit that's in this church. I thank you for just the way we love one another in this place. Lord, let us continue to be a church that is diligent and alert and awake and holding to you and to your word. To not go to the right or to the left, but, Lord, to stay on the straight and narrow path. Because, Lord, we want to glorify you and you alone. Forgive us if we failed you in any way in this place, Lord. And, and Father, if if you've been speaking to someone this morning about becoming your child, Father, I pray your spirit will give them the courage that when we stand up here in a moment, they just can't stay where they are and they come down. Let this be the day of their salvation. Lord, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for individuals that you used, that made mistakes, that said things that they probably shouldn't have, that didn't use a filter at times, but you still used them for your glory. And we, we see these individuals and we know that we can be used too. Thank you for putting the good seed in us and allow us to take root But, Lord, help us to continue to cast it out so others may hear it as well. Thank you for all you're doing right here in this moment. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.